This week, we will be talking about thin bindings, editors, Apple hardware, and then some. This is Contravariance, a podcast about Apple, Swift, and other programming-related topics. Good morning. Good morning, Buzz. How are you doing? Good. I bought a new coffee, as I did last episode, and I'm always happy when I buy coffee. It's one of the few treats I give myself over the day, and they make me happy. Swift over coffee. No, it's you don't drink coffee, are you? <laughs> I, well, I drink coffee. Yeah, but not right now. Not now, and uh, not at sorry. work, and yeah. So it would be served over half a coffee. It's complicated. Yes, it's complicated. Water for me this morning. Did you have uh, have a nice weekend? Uh, yeah, I did. Um, this weekend, I won it. Like I finished the Chernobyl, the TV show, mm-hmm. which was really, really good. Um, and the rest of the weekend, I mostly spent listening to the radio uh, because there was a golfing tournament, mm. uh, the Open, which is one of the four majors. Mm. And that was a lot, a lot, a lot of fun to listen to. Uh, so, yeah, that was that was nice. Nice. And I didn't really do much else other than that. But that was that was nice. What about you? Um, I... For this weekend, I had some free time because um, my girlfriend went on a sporting event the whole Sunday and I decided, well, if I have a free Sunday mostly to do stuff, I'm going to finish off. I told you about this at the static side generator and I'm trying to add um, incremental compilation to it so that only when I have one, f- when I change one file, it figures out the dependencies and only basically re-renders that instead of everything. And that is working, so I'm I'm done with my refactoring for that. I finished that last week, and this weekend I started. Now that the refactoring is done, I started to adding all these optimizations for for incremental compilation. And um, I have one particular difficult issue with um, uh, with uh, another aspect of it, and I was basically I wanted to work on that, uh, but then I started to um, to edit my Vim config, and I just wanted to briefly add something, <laughs> but that that went into. Yeah, basically that was my Sunday. I, I started messing around with my Vim config, cleaned it up, the research stuff, and so on. And then uh, I didn't really do much on the project. The the title for today is like I just briefly wanted to edit something in Vim. Well, to be fair, uh, on Vim, not in Vim. Right. I wanted to edit Vim itself, basically, in, in its configuration. Yeah, it's interesting because I've never, like, I've never used Vim or or Nano or any of these these tools, and I've never really felt like I'm missing anything, which I'm, t- I totally am, probably. But I mean, it's not that it's nece- like that's that it's really necessary for me. But at the same time, I would love to get some more info about like how these tools work and what they allow you to do. And do you do you want me to give you the pitch? Give me the pitch. Okay, so the 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 fundamental idea under underlying why many people love Vim and still use it, even though I think it's fifty years now, forty or fifty years old. So it's quite it's an old editor. That makes me feel young. Um, and by by Vim, I mean also VI, which was its predecessor. Um, but I don't want to go into the history. So the fundamental idea is that um, you have, or the fundamental observation is that when you're working with source code. You're not writing the whole day. Most of the time, you're actually modifying your editing code or your browsing code. You're you're reading it. And so this editor is optimized for that. Instead of just allowing you to write stuff like any other text editor where you go in and you type stuff, this one is built for editing and reading. So there's there are two different modes. The one is called the insert mode, where you insert new text 
into the document. That's writing. It's the typical. In that mode, the editor behaves just like every other editor out there. You just write stuff. But then when you hit escape or another predefined key that you decide that you can set for yourself because everything can be customized, right? Once which, you hit which is also helpful if the key is escape. Yeah, for certain keywords. Sure. That's why, obviously, when I have my um, caps lock key set to escape, because then it still works fine with uh, the new MacBook keyboards that don't really have an escape key. But by default, it's escape, um, because it used to be on the keyboards that Vim was written on, escape was right next to the A key on the keyboard, just like the caps lock key nowadays. So it was easily reachable, that is the decision. So once you hit escape, you change the mode, and now you're not editing, you're not inserting text anymore, but you can move around and edit text. You can tell the editor, okay, go up four lines, go four words to the right, um, select the next four words, cut them out and paste them four to the bottom. Or you have, uh, you don't just have one clipboard, you have 27 clipboards. So you can say, okay, cut this line and put it in clipboard one, cut this line and put it in, in clipboard two, cut this line and put it in clipboard three. Okay, anyway, now go down 50 lines and paste the third, the second and the, uh, the first. Um, or you can do visual selection where you can say select this specific block or select the contents of what is in this if cut it out move it somewhere and and a lot of other things so basically there's a whole language that you can use in terms of key shortcuts um, that are um, that you can use to to tell the editor what to do to modify the text um, so in, in basically every key on the keyboard is a different action that the editor performs for you. And these can be chained. So there's an action called D, which means delete. But when you hit D, it doesn't know what to delete. So you have to tell it what you want to delete. So you can say um, we, uh, W, which means word. You can um, use L, which means line, and so on. So basically, you can tell it delete this, delete that, or delete until this point. Um, and this is just for modification. Um, of text and then you have additional modes for finding stuff in text for searching easily uh, for keeping a search buffer and so on so um, this is just the basic of of how you modify and navigate and and edit but in addition to that there's also a lot of plugins that allow you to do stuff like um, have a terminal open next door or side by side so that you can easily switch back and forth and don't have to to go to another screen you can also split the windows into as many splits as you want if you want to have many, many three, uh, files open at the same time. There's basically unlim unlimited possibility in terms of what the editor can do, to, do for you in terms of plugins. But the fundamental gist is that um, there's a difference between inserting code and reading and modifying code. And most of the time we are modifying and that's what it's optimized for. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. I think I've said that before. I don't know if I said it before in a podcast. Um, but yeah, like you you should optimize your code for reading and not writing um, yeah. because that's fundamentally a lot like what's going to happen a lot more and what's a lot more important because that's where your context is going to kick in and yeah. where that is really important so it sounds really cool um but you are constrained to like a command line environment or no um, I, I used to many years ago, so I, I just recently switched back from from something called SpaceMix, which is a um, a plugin for Emacs. Emacs is a competing editor with the same idea but different key bindings. Um, but there's a plugin called SpaceMix that basically makes Emacs behave like Vim. Basically, you take Emacs, the competing editor, and you make it have the same key bindings of the same model support as Vim. And the reason I did that was because um, for a long time, um, Vim lacked the functionality to easily run asynchronous 
tasks in the background. So you want to do run a, a checker on your code. So then the UI would freeze while the code was being checked. And Emacs allowed all that, but modern versions of Vim can do this now. Um, but before I did that, I used to run something called MacVim, which is basically Vim built as a Cocoa app for the Mac, where, we have, where you have clipboard support, you have a menu bar, um, you can open multiple windows, and each window you can have tabs, and it looks like a Mac app. And in, in there, when you are in one tab, in one window, there you have these special key bindings. But apart from that, basically, it behaves in full fields and looks like a Mac app. I used to use that for a long time, but now I'm, I'm happier running it in the terminal because then I basically have the full screen and can split it up however I want and I'm not distracted. So it's for, for me a bit of distraction-free, but Vim exists in many uh, variations. What about your IDE, like Xcode? Uh, obviously, I have that still open um, and I still use that, but mostly because we here at the company have a half Swift, half Objective-C roughly code base. And there is from Apple Swift LSP, which allows you at some point in the future when it will officially be shipped um, to use any editor, including Vim or Emacs, to, to run on any Xcode project. Um, it currently already works, um, but the support for Objective-C is not good. And I can't really use it on our code base for that reason. So uh, that's why I currently can't use it. What I could do, what I don't, is um, there's a plugin for Xcode where you have to change the the uh, signing on Xcode on the binary in order to, to install third-party plugins that are actually not allowed anymore. And then there's a plugin um, for Vim um, called XVim. And when you install that, you get these Vim bindings with an Xcode. Um, I used to use that for a long time, um, but the problem is it breaks whenever there's a new release of Xcode. So then you need to resign, and the resigning process takes like five hours. And at some point, I just it just board me to do that. Also, when somebody else sits down at your Mac and he wants to start doing something in Xcode because he wants to show you something or you want to show him something, um, then then they get quickly confused. I, I sat quite in a few laps at DubDub where the engineer was very confused because I had forgotten to turn off the Vim mode and they wanted to, wanted to type something, but instead <laughs> they deleted code and stuff and everything was behaving weirdly. Yeah, I think actually one of our colleagues has this hmm? installed. So. Yeah, yeah, he, he keeps, keeps installing this. Yeah. And um, I, I would love to, but I, I feel this is uh, a detriment. Um, however, once Swift LSP is, is working, I will probably switch to that. Yeah, but then with Swift LSP, it is also expected that you can have these bindings within Xcode without a plugin, or how? No, because then, how does that work? No, then or, you, or will you switch to Vim yeah. so that you have proper support there? Yeah. But then you would still have the issue, which I mean, I guess it wouldn't be too big for us because we don't use that many like um, Inter files. Files builder, right? Yeah, files that can only be like rendered or, or properly used from from Xcode, yeah. like interface builder, like like zips. Like your XC data model, I actually don't know. Maybe there are tools for that. Um, the the XC data model is just a simple XML file that you can actually edit. But for all the others, yes. But but that's the case also if you use app code. So whenever you step back from away from Xcode, all these very Xcode specific files you have to use Xcode. Oh, definitely. So that and that wouldn't be an issue. I would still have Xcode, obviously. But it's just I do would do all of my editing in Vim, and whenever I have to touch an, an interface builder file, I would just hop over there. Um, so that that for me wouldn't be a problem. It's more what 
what actually feels more like a problem is SwiftUI um, because that also right. bundles into a lot of what Xcode offers and that is something that Vim might be able to do because whenever I save the file in Vim, Xcode should update because it knows the file has been updated so I should be able to run the preview window of Xcode next to Vim but I didn't test that yet because I don't use Vim for, for Swift editing anyway. Right, but to me it makes sense like the whole language server protocol the Swift LSP makes sense and would be really cool to see that happening and well, it's already happening, but but see that come to life in different tools. Um, but what is, why is it not that easy the other way around, right? So we have this uh, this tool that allows you to use Vim in Xcode, but it takes like five hours, signing issues, etc. Mm. Why why doesn't Apple support this? Mm, I don't know. I mean, they um, they've been always a bit restrictive with plugin interfaces. For a long time, there was AppleScript, but for a um, for a Vim integration, you need very deep access um, into what the editor does because basically every key the user types needs to go into your plugin and you need to interpret it in a different manner. Um, and this is, I guess, something that uh, that is, would need a much wider plugin interface. So the, the XVim kind of thing, they subclass a lot of the uh, classes that are part of Xcode, like the, the fundamental editor and even beyond that, uh, the window class, for example, and override them at runtime um, with with their their own implementations. That's how um, that's how it works. So I think it, the defining a plugin interface that allows something like um, uh, Vim bindings is kind of tricky. There's one for AppCode. So AppCode has something called Idea Vim that you can install, and then you get these bindings in um, in AppCode. But it's it requires a really really extensibility that Xcode totally doesn't have. There's very limited extensibility that that you can do with Xcode and plugins. Right, makes sense. I mean that then Apple would have to do it. Like that mm. could be another option, but I also guess that that's not on the top of their list no because it also restricts you once you do that you cannot rewrite the code for the that these plugins depend on because because then all these plugins break right so that that's kind of tricky and also i feel that um i talked earlier a bit about emacs so emacs is this competing editor that has a, a similar idea but very different key bindings and um the early engineers that wrote next they were huge emacs fans so huge that in every input field on macOS that you have in any editor um, a lot of these Emacs key bindings, they all work out of the box. So on in, on all of macOS, whatever you do, wherever you are, these Emacs key bindings, they just work. That is that is really cool. So it feels like why would Apple need want to add Vim stuff, right? When they are so deep in the even on even on iPadOS, most of these Emacs key bindings are there. So it's it, it seems this is like their in the editor wars between Vim and Emacs, they choose Emacs. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. There was actually two things that I thought of in, in what you were seeing earlier so one of them was like hey you have these combinations of keys so d for delete and mm. then dl would be like delete line um, and that reminds me of and i don't know if many people know this but there are quite a few keyboard shortcuts on github like github.com um, and some of them is like gn and that means go notifications mm. so with gn you can mm. open your notifications gi go mm. to issues and mm. that's really interesting and, and i thought about that one mm. um and then one other one I saw a while back. So if you have a, a modal pop-up on, on macOS and you have like two options, one is cancel, one is delete, like one will be selected, etc., and you can tap to it. But what you can also do is like command plus the first letter mm -hmm. of the button. I mm -hmm. don't know how this works if you have like duplicates, probably it doesn't do anything. But if you, so if you want to hit uh, 
delete, for example, you can do command D instead mm -hmm. of like going there by tabbing or using your mouse, mm -hmm. which is yeah, that's also nice. really cool. Uh, especially for, for more complex dialogues. Yeah, I assume that's not a, an Emacs or, or whatever thing. No, I guess that's just good good behavior. Yeah, but that, that's really cool. Yeah. And I like these kind of small things that, you know, you, ne you would never think about or would never really, you know, I don't know, stumble upon because it's probably not documented. Mm. Um, but there's something about it that just makes me feel happy because it's like a super small thing that doesn't hurt anyone, mm. but is also like somebody thought about this. Yeah. And just like any great idea i think it's like in hindsight all, many of these good ideas are the obvious ones mm -hmm. so that was that was really cool when i stumbled upon that it's also that um small shortcuts like these i feel make it easier to to handle situations because it, it goes faster one thing that i like about all these zoom bindings is that i can do almost everything without taking my hand away from the keyboard to the mouse because this is a movement that takes time but I can do selections, I can cut test, uh, text, I can paste text, I can move in the file without ever going away from the keyboard and so I can just keep my hands on the keyboard and, and stay focused instead of moving my hand around and stuff which defocuses me a bit and it takes longer. That's very nice. And that's the same for, as you say, OS shortcuts. Like when I'm in a file, I don't, when this dialogue comes up, I don't want to reach away from the keyboard, go to the mouse, to stuff. Maybe I'm on the keyboard and I just want to add one, one character and continue with doing whatever I'm doing. Yeah, I, I'm still conflicted about that because, I, I mean, I use keyboard shortcuts, etc. But I don't feel that, you know, using a trackpad or using a mouse is really distracting me because it's just, it's, that's how my brain is wired, right? I just do that, and mm. you have, uh, you know, you have these little knobs on like your F and mm. J keys. So like, it's not like I don't feel like I get lost. So mm. for me, it just works, whatever, whatever works. Basically. Well, I mean, you also have um, have the touchpad, which is below the keyboard, which makes it much easier to keep your hands kind of on the keyboard and don't move far. But when you have a mouse and you move from the keyboard to the mouse, which is a longer distance. Sure, but I have a mouse at home, and I feel that, that I don't know. It still takes time. It. it Sure, definitely, but I don't feel that that's mm -hmm. like a waste of anything. It's just, yeah, just feels okay. okay. <laughs> yeah, so that is uh, that. That was my my Vim story. Yeah, yeah. And then on the topic of like shortcuts or like small interesting things, and then I'm kind of crossing. We should should talk about this later, maybe in detail. Uh, kind of crossing to accessibility as well. I think one of the coolest things that I uh, discovered there is in voiceover there is a gesture which is a double like a two finger z gesture mm -hmm. so you basically are zorro mm -hmm. with two fingers and that means you go back so if you have any oh. like any navigation stack by default mm -hmm. support this supports this mm -hmm. i don't have modals by default support it but you can implement it and then you can just use this z gesture mm -hmm. and you pop That's nice. the stack as just so cool. Hmm? It's so cool. It's hmm. really nice. Yeah, that, that's especially nice because it might be much quicker than uh, going to the top. Oh well, no, I, I don't think it's quicker. Well, I think it's more like like. But let's talk about that later. Like it's accessibility. You're in voiceover mode, right? So it's hmm. not maybe not as trivial to go back to that button hmm. or find that button hmm. or find how to exit this hmm. view or yeah, go back. Yeah, that's true. So it's a it's a nice win. So, Bas, are you excited about the upcoming new Apple hardware? We have new iPhones and iPads coming, I guess. Oh, do we have new iPads coming? I would guess so. Do you know more than I do? <laughs> I know they're on a yearly schedule and Tim Cook really likes them. Oh, but why, when was the last 
iPad, like when was the last iPad that was released? Um, I think it was, in, they, they are on two schedules, right? They are in around March is when the consumer iPads launch and uh, around September for the iPhone is, event is when the pro iPads launch. Is that? I mean, uh, I, I, know, so. I, mean, I know about the iPhone. I don't know about the, the iPads launching. I but, am pretty sure. But to, to, answer, <laughs> to answer your question, um, and then I would mostly think about iPhone. Uh, not really. Like, I used to be really into like apple rumors and and all of that and like oh every year is a new iphone and it would be honest too like like every other year i would get a new iphone because like not because i really needed it but because it was really nice right and i felt like it was worth the the investment uh for the amount of use i got out of it and the amount of fun i had with with the new phones um and then I broke that schedule when I went from the 7 Plus to the iPhone X. Um, that's a long story. Maybe I've talked about it before. Uh, basically looking too much at the simulator. And I was like, ah, it's so nice. It's so nice. Ah, I'll treat myself. Um, but ever since then, so that's almost two years ago now. Yeah. So in September mm-hmm. will be two years ago. So like I'm basically back on a schedule to, to update again, right? Mm-hmm. Or at least what I used to do. But no, for some reason, I really don't see any reason to, to update. I'm really happy with the iPhone X. Mm-hmm. Um, it does what it needs to do. I don't use my iPhone a lot, mm-hmm. to, to, be, to be honest. Um, and the only reason I can think of to, to update at the moment is when it breaks down. Mm-hmm. Um, well, there's a second one, which is I had the like you had the 16 gig gig iphones right mm-hmm. and it was like terrible because it was like no space but somehow i you know i managed mm-hmm. uh, so i think my 6 plus was still 16 gigabytes and then 7 plus was either um 32 or 128 mm-hmm. and i was like well then for like 100 years i think i'll go for the 128 it's probably also easier mm-hmm. to sell and it's like you know why not mm-hmm. and it was nice um and then obviously apple is pretty pretty smart when it comes to marketing so when the iphone 10 came out they, they didn't offer 32 and 128 no they offered 64 and 256 i think yes and then i thought ah 64 is going to be plenty and now I have like 50 gigabytes of photos and it's like almost mm-hmm. full. So the, the that would be one reason to maybe update, although I feel that I it would be a lot smarter to get some iCloud storage and put all the photos in iCloud. And mm. Yeah, because in the end, it's also like, it's really like a scaling problem, right? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, even with a 256 gigabyte iPhone that I would never update, at some point I would probably reach that. Which I guess is the same for iCloud, etc. But yeah, but you you don't really know what kind of new devices are coming, right? It could be that the camera is much better, and that there are new features um, that we don't know of yet. So you're pretty sure that this will not affect you in your purchase decision. I'm pretty sure. Mm. I really like the iPhone as a camera, mm? which is also <laughs> why I have like most of my my uh, storage going to to photos. Mm? Um, no, I don't see it happening. And the same for the iPad, where you also um, uh, so iPad because you are not using your iPad. iPad's much. a different story, yeah. Like I, it's really weird. I love the iPad, and I think it's a really, really great device. I just don't see it fitting into my 
lifestyle feels a bit dramatic, but like how I use devices, like I prefer using my iPhone to watch a movie or to read because I feel that the I- iPad is like unnecessarily, unnecessarily large for it. Um, and then I have like I, I at work, I look at a MacBook and then I go home and I probably sleep on like during my commute and then I'm at home and I have an iMac. So like, where do I use the iPad? Yeah, on the couch. But then again, I prefer the iPhone. So I would love to, like, I would would have loved it if there was a, a real reason to use an mm-hmm. iPad. Um, but there isn't. I, mm-hmm. I, I had the iPad 2, uh, used it for quite a while, then didn't for, for another while, uh, started reading on it. I don't know why in the end because I think it was the when Swift came out, so it mm-hmm. was like the Swift guideline mm-hmm. uh, of the or the Swift uh, book, and that was easier on iPad because you know code samples etc. So then the the screen real estate was useful, um, and I picked I basically got the iPad back from wherever it was. And I opened books and it was like, this is horrible. I can see all these pixels because it obviously wasn't Retina. Um, I then upgraded my iPad uh, and it was really nice. And now I got an iPad uh, as a device for work. But I just realized like, I'm no, it's not worth ever buying an iPad mm. again because I just, I would love to, but I just don't have, like, it's not worth it. Don't you think this is primarily a limitation of iPad OS? Whereas imagine that there would be, and now comes my my vision of what I would love Apple to do, um, you would have a equivalent of Xcode and a terminal running on there, and you would now that we have mouse pointer support, basically it's a different operating system, but you could do the things you could do on your Mac mostly. I mean, like I said, I love iPad, so I think if that point arrives, um, then I would definitely like maybe at that point consider getting an iPad and ditching the MacBook. Hmm. Um, then again, you know, I don't know. Like, it's really hard to match a Mac on, hmm. an, on an iOS device. And I also don't want to force that because one of the other things I'm thinking of is DeckSet. So that's the presentation software that I use. Hmm. So I don't want to, want to lose that either. Hmm. Um, I mean, we now have Audacity that we use for, for the podcast. I guess there is like a ton of alternatives, but at the same time, like there's also nothing really wrong with macOS. Mm-hmm. So uh, I don't really see like a best reason to switch also from Mac to, to iOS, mm-hmm. even at that point. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I'm, I'm deeply in the, in, the ca- uh, in the Mac camp, but I'm still playing devil's advocate here. Um, don't, you, don't you think that it's easier that the same device can act as uh, a full-blown editor and, and, and browsing and, and doing the audio and at the same time you can lug it around and it has a touch screen and you can interact with it without having always to resort to the touch bar or touch pad as soon as you want to, to, um, to interact with it? I'm used to both interaction styles, right? So, mm. no, and... Then I think one other thing, what I what I would really like about iPad is that it's more versatile, that it's smaller, that it's a lot lighter, hmm. um, because that's something I think is is a downside of, of MacBook. Um, but then again, I don't really carry it that much. I leave my MacBook at work overnight. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, no. I, what, about, what about you? I would love to use, so I, I travel a lot. And my main problem for many years now has been that I don't want to travel with so many devices. But I'm using the iPad 
for a couple of things and one of them is reading books in the evening when I'm in bed and watching movies and TV series and stuff and browsing the web. I do that on the iPad. I love doing that on the iPad. I hate doing that on the MacBook because when I'm lying in bed and I have my MacBook in front of me open and then my arm is twisted to use the touchpad, that's not a, t not a nice experience. No, it isn't. And um, But that works great with the iPad. On the other hand, um, I can't do any work on the iPad. Like, of course, I can use Swift Playgrounds, but Swift Playgrounds is, doesn't really allow me to do much. It does, it's very limited in what it does. Um, and it done, then it doesn't have my beloved Vimkai key bindings, for example. So there are many things that are missing. Then there's no terminal and so on. There are obvious for all, of, for all of these issues. There are some more solutions, but they are all not good. For the terminal, you can SSH into a remote server. I tried that. It's terrible because, because you, you get all the lag. Like I had one vacation where I just brought the iPad and I whenever we were in a cafe, I SSH'd into a server and did my coding there. But then the Wi-Fi is slow and suddenly you can't work anymore and so on. It sucks. So then I... Um, I tried it with Swift Playgrounds, but I really don't like the editor. Like the auto-completion is terrible and it's it, it's just not a nice editing experience that I, I feel I could do if I wanted to get serious work done. Sure, it's nice for a, for a demo, but it's not for, for actually working on something. And, and, and so I always have to take two devices. So I have to bring a small laptop and, um, and a small iPad if I want to, to enjoy both. And the, for a long time, the smallest laptop that would have been the best match was the iPad, the MacBook. 12 inch because that's small enough that you can place a small iPad on top and it still feels kind of like one device but sure Apple dropped it and now Rest the only thing peace. yes the only thing we have now is the 13 inch which is way too big for me because it's just as big as a 13 inch MacBook so there's no solution here um, I in between I bought a, a Windows Surface clone because I felt so maybe I can just get the same kind of thing with a Surface which has a touchscreen where I can watch stuff and I can I can edit stuff and so on but one thing I like is watching Netflix and um, and reading books, right? And that's terrible on the on the surface. Like the Netflix app is really not good, and the, uh, no, not the Netflix. The Netflix app is good, but the Kindle app is really not good. So and then it, then it, it, it's slow, and then it was also difficult to code stuff. So I installed Linux, and that also didn't work well. And there's not one device I can bring on a vacation to, to for all these use cases I have. Yeah, and that's that's where I feel like that. What is really nice for me is there. I bring the would bring the MacBook. And then I don't bring an iPad because I have my phone, and mm. that would cover all my needs. Also, I like not bringing an I like anything. On, well, I bring my phone, but I like not bringing a computer. Yeah, for me, it's on not, holiday. See, it's not always holiday for me. It's like not only that I travel for work, but sometimes I have to travel and visit visit family, and then the, then it's a nine hour train ride back and forth. And what I, what am I supposed to do on a nine hour train ride? Oh, I have some things: sleep. I can't do read. That. Yeah, uh, watch watch a show on your iPhone. <laughs> yeah, so um, so I, I I have to travel a lot, and and for that it kind of it kind of makes sense. Uh, my current solution is I have an 11 inch MacBook Air, really beautiful small device, um, very slow, terrible screen, terrible screen, but it works. Um, it now SwiftUI doesn't work anymore. I tried that. So with SwiftUI, I installed Catalina, and for SwiftUI it's too slow. But uh, I'm not only doing Swift. We know that. I'm also doing sometimes Rust and so on. And for that, it's still fast enough. So I can use that for some time until maybe the beloved um, ARM MacBook 12 inch comes out. Um, fingers crossed. Yeah, fingers crossed. Uh, yeah, but there's still not a good solution and I, I i really don't like ipad os like the the dock and everything and the way you have to do gestures and touching to me feels very cumbersome and i always misclick and misswipe and things are not no i'm currently running the beta so it may be that this is being improved i, I heard that they, they want to improve it but yeah it's 
I like the ideas and I, I like how so the, the the touch implementation is best in class. When I compare it with uh, with Surface, that's like the the the, the touch screen and the the apps and how you use with them, they, they are fantastic, really. But but beyond that, once you once you leave that area and you go into you want to do more stuff that that a normal computer can do, then like the, the IDE and so on, then it's really or the the dog that it doesn't really have and, and yeah. Right, but to go back to the initial question, <laughs> are there any plans to upgrade iPhone, iPad, Apple Watch maybe? Um, no, I just bought the new Apple Watch. Um, I had the, had the Series 3, went to the Series 4 because when the hard track monitor came. I I'm, remember. Yeah, I'm I remember the, the day you heard about it and <laughs> three hours later saying, yeah, I'm not getting lunch, I'm going to a trip for, to the Apple Store. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that was important to me, and I love it. Um, I might update the phone. Uh, mine, I also have the iPhone X, just like you. And um, I might want to update if the camera is seriously better for a nice camera. I like the camera, but um, I would like to have, as if that happens, I, would, I might want to do it. Um, and our employer grants us a new device every three years. And I might want to use that and update the iPad as well, if there are new iPads. Um, because I like this one, um, but if if the employer gives away free hardware, why should I say no? No, I mean, that's why I have the iPad as well. Yeah. <laughs> right. So that's that. Cool. No, but I, I really like that when you, like the day when you said, hey, I, I really care about this, the ECG, I think, right? Hmm? ECG feature in the, the Apple Watch. And I, I mean, I'm still torn because I love... Yeah, I have a weird relation also with the Apple Watch. I mm -hmm. would love to have one again at some point. Um, but it's, it's a really great device. So. so my pick of the week is kind of related to what we just talked about. The, the problem that there is not for everything that you would like to do with your, Mac, uh, with your Mac, there's a Mac hardware. There's also like if you want to have a desktop, for example, there's only the insanely expensive Mac Pro. Or the, um, well, a desktop without a screen, or the Mac Mini, which doesn't have a GPU, a proper one. And so there is a project on GitHub called macOS Simple KVM. And what that does is it allows you to install macOS in a virtual machine in a way that is um, supported by, um, by a Linux host. And in a way that when you have a graphics card and a couple of other hardware, they are directly moved um, into, the, into the virtual machine so that macOS can natively use, natively use the graphics card. Then you only have the penalty of around 10% CPU loss for, for the small emulation hardware. But then basically you run Linux and on top of that, you run a macOS that runs almost at the exactly the same speed as the macOS on normal hardware and it fully supports the graphics hardware. So basically you can build a really fantastic fast Intel-based Mac. It, in theory, it also works with, R, uh, with RMD, um, Ryzen, but I'm, I'm not too sure about that. You build that and then you install Linux and you put this on top and then basically you run Linux on top, you run in a container macOS and it, it's almost as fast and then you can basically do snapshotting, you can run multiple macOS at the same time because Linux is the virtual machine host for these. Um, and there's a really nice script that does it all for you because this sounds like very technical and very complicated and with the script and this repo on GitHub, it's really easy. I, um, I only looked into it. I didn't try it yet because I'm still torn between um, what my next Mac hardware is going to be, but um, this is something I would love to try. Could that be something interesting for your uh, MacBook Air then? 
It would also allow you, yes, to install um, macOS on top of Linux on a MacBook uh, alike, so on a notebook, that if you find a proper notebook with, with good um, good hardware, then that would probably also work. Yeah. Okay. And what is KVM? What is it? Because it reminds me of KVO, but... Uh, it means kernel-based virtual machine, and it's an open-source virtualization technology built into Linux um, for hypervisors and so on. So there's a similar project on macOS by, by Apple called the Hypervisor Framework, and basically what it does is it moves all the technology required to run virtual machines um, into the into the operating system, whereas something like Virtual um, VirtualBox or Parallels and so on, they, in the past, they had to write all that, cell, that themselves and insert it as a kernel extension into the operating system. Um, and now basically the operating system offers that on the Mac. And this, that was for a long time the same on Linux for a much longer time. And there it's called KVM. Uh-huh. What's uh, your pick of the week, Bas? Yeah, so I don't really have a project, I guess. Um but something that was added to Swift Neo, so that's uh, one of Apple's open source projects, is a script that checks for API breakages. Mm -hmm. Because it's awfully hard <laughs> to verify if a change that you make in a framework doesn't cause any breaking changes. Um, I, I remember that uh, you can... So normally what we would do is we import UIKit, right? But what you can do is you can like import UIKit dot like one uh, class dot just one function of that mm -hmm. class. Mm -hmm. And technically if you could, if you would do that and then move away, like, uh, like move certain things or change certain things in your API, that one use case, because it's importing a specific function could break the whole thing. So it's like, incredibly difficult to know if something breaks mm -hmm. um so i'm i'm actually like it's it's just a just a, ba a bash script mm -hmm. and it's like 122 lines so i don't mm -hmm. know if it catches everything i should mm -hmm. read up on it um but that looks really interesting interesting yeah and i know that for swift apple also had this uh repository where you could basically say hey this is one commit of my repo on swift 5 um, and they would like run regression tests on it, um, which is obviously also a really good way because that also allows you to catch a lot of probably weird or, or interesting edge cases. Um, but I don't know what the status of that one is because I know that there was a bit of backlash because Apple would basically just remove your project or like disable your project if you wouldn't supply a new commit with a new mm -hmm. uh, beta or like a new... Uh, Swift version in time mm -hmm. without really reaching out to you or figuring out like mm. having you be aware of that. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I heard about that. I also don't know what the status is, but this looks like an interesting project. Um, I guess we will share it in the show notes, and then interested readers can have a look. Definitely, readers, listeners. <laughs> <sighs> Sometimes my my maybe, mouth maybe, is faster than the brain. Maybe you need a bit more coffee. <laughs> All right. Okay, that was a good episode. I hope you enjoyed it, dear listeners, not readers. Good, good comeback. All right, thanks. See you next time. See you next time. Bye. You, hear you next time. Listen, no, we don't hear you. Well, I hear you next time. Yeah, and I see you next time. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, oh, it's confusing. All right. Bye. Bye-bye.